This is the first time in She Will Rock You history. I wrote a short outline, guys. History. I had a longer outline than Leah, but knowing Leah, it's probably still going to be the same length. <laughs> It'll still be 47 minutes. <laughs> Don't worry. And I got to close this window for my printer that randomly just opened. It's at work. We're not printing now. So as Leah mentioned, we are going to, as we've been talking, um, this whole entire recording session, and it's probably going to be out by now. So It'll definitely be out by now. This um, is from two weeks from now. Yeah. Um, we are going to go see My Chemical Romance with Turnstile, which I am so excited for. Those are my boys. And then Slow Glow. glow? Soul, Soul Glow. Slow Glow. Soul Glow. Soul Glow. <laughs> okay, Soul Glow. That brings me back to Family Force Five Days. I shudder at those days. Um, but yeah, we're going to go see them. And as you are aware, Gerard Way, this entire tour... And spoil this is kind of a spoiler, so if you don't want to hear this, you can go ahead and scroll a little bit. He has been wearing, I think, a costume every night. Except for San Antonio. Except for San Antonio. He was a clown on the first it was only been three nights of tour so far. We're the fourth night. He's been a clown, nothing, and then just came out in a full cheerleader outfit in Nashville. And he I love the video I said he goes, All right, Nashville. And like Nashville. I don't know why that's been in my head as an earworm, the way he said it. And I'm so excited because he's so theatrical on stage. Really theatrical. I'm like, fucking finally put some theatrics in it. I like when he pointed to the one kid and was like, that looks like me from the past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Leah, if we already talked a little bit of what we want Gerard Way to dress up for as our show. But let's do. Let's oh, I got a good idea. <laughs> OK, well, I was going to say, let's dress up the rest of the band. OK. What is the theme that you would just die to see? We're going to have Frozen Night and Gerard's going to be Elsa. Dude, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. And Mikey's Olaf. It is done. Yes. It is, it is written. It is written. It is. I don't care who else is who. Bro, but could you, could you imagine? <laughs> yes, I, I can't imagine it. I would die. I, that's what's going to happen. That's a good one. If he walks out tomorrow in a fucking Elsa dress... I might just like faint because that's <laughs> way too specific. If it's the sight freaking us out, here's here's mine. The Big Lebowski. <laughs> Each one chooses a character and one of them better be the goddamn rug. Yes. That ties the room together. They just come no, out. Gerard and, needs to be the rug that ties the room together. And he just comes out in like a Aladdin Broadway rug <laughs> costume because they have the, gym, the rug that does gymnastics. I would love it, but. I'm just super excited. We'll probably just get emo dad drawer. Let's be real. Oh God. I mean, that's fine. It, it's, it's, it's fine. not cheerleader. Dramatic. I literally rushed ordered a band tee, not my chem, a different band tee, a Coheed band tee. Cause I was like, I don't have any good scene. Shirts. We missed Coheed opening for them by one show. They opened the first three shows. That pisses me off. Same. Sincerely. Yeah. That would have been a sick show. Also, now we have two openers, which is fine, but it just takes longer because they got to set yeah. them down twice. Turnstile, though, is very good. I, I love. I keep me listening to them and I keep forgetting. Love Turnstile. We'll listen to it in the car. Okay. I think you'll like it. It's a heavier punk. Yeah. I listened to a couple good. songs and then got distracted. Yeah. Um, but that's all I got for this cold open. I'm Beth Ann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs>
thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this band? We're on page one, guys. This is She Will Rock You. And we're going to have a short episode today because... You know, that's fine by me. For, for that's fine by my editing schedule. I won't complain. My my outline is eight pages, but I think roughly a half page of that is Carl Weezer memes inserted into <laughs> you this. You left them in I there? I left them in there. <laughs> did you see the thick, thick ass one? That's my favorite. I mean, I'm sure I did. It's probably at the bottom. Yeah, that that one. Yeah. Anyway, so today we're talking about Cindy Lapa. Lapa? Lapa. She's from New York. She's a New Yorker? She's a New Yorker. Oh, damn. And if you want to picture Cindy Lauper's mannerisms, you got to picture Carol Kane in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You cannot Yo. tell me. Yo, you literally just hit it on the head. You cannot tell me that she did not base that character off Cindy Lauper. Dude, you literally just <laughs> hit it on the head. I'm literally watching it and I'm like, they did, she didn't play what's her face and Kimmy Schmidt, right? Like I had to no, double that check. Was, um, I know her name and I can't think of it. I can't think of her character's name. I had to double check that Cindy Lauper was not in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt because it's so on point. Anyway, talk about Cindy Lauper. And Cindy has kind of a weird career, but I'm not going to spoil it. Cynthia Ann Stephanie Lauper was born June 22nd, 1953. She's an Ann like me? She's an Ann. She's also Italian. Ah! Oh, born in Brooklyn. That makes me so happy. To a Catholic, Continue. To a Catholic family. Even better. <laughs> Eat. Hey, the Lord be with you. And also with you. She went to a Catholic school growing up and hated it. But yeah, doesn't well, everyone who went that, to Catholic school? Yes. Yes. That tends to be the case. Uh, she has a younger brother named Fred and an older sister named Ellen. Their parents divorced when she was five. Her mother remarried, divorced again. Then she got her stepfather, I think... Is she only got remarried once. So she got remarried to the stepfather. They eventually get divorced because her stepfather was a fucking piece of shit. Mm. It made both her and her sisters so uncomfortable in their house that they both left home as soon as they turned 17. Oh, that sucks. Ellen's, I think, like a year older. So Ellen turned 18, left, and like two months later, when she was, when Cindy was 17, she was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Because something had happened where he was like super abusive to their mom. And um, he had slammed the bathroom door and the bathroom door had paned glass on it. And like it was mirrored glass. You couldn't see through it. Mm -hmm. But one of the corners and one of the panes had fallen out. And she's taking a bath one day and saw his eyeball peeking in. And she's like, I got to get the fuck out of this house. Oh, God. Yeah. So really, really creepy. Fuck him. Um, She grew up in the Ozone Park neighborhood of Queens. And as a child, she listened to everything from the Beatles to Judy Garland and at age 12, she just began writing songs just for fun. Um, and her sister gave her her first acoustic guitar. Aww. She became very, very self-expressive in like late middle school, early high school years. You know, much to the chagrin of the nuns at her school. She would dye her hair these like crazy colors, wear eccentric clothing that she would pretty much find on the street because she was broke. Um and one of her friends said, you know, you should really start spelling your name C-Y-N-D-I instead of how she was spelling with an I-N-D-Y. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is this is the f- like fucking rad. But her classmates, because it's what, the 60s, mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, uh, did not take this well and literally threw stones at her. 
over like swapping some letters over just like her image because she had pink hair and like oh. this eccentric personality and so they didn't just bully her they threw stones at her you know jesus talked about stones in the bible i'm surprised <laughs> these catholic bitches didn't learn <laughs> the nuns just did not see no they did not see <laughs> <laughs> um and so she didn't really have that many friends um she didn't really like going to school and so she filled all of her time with music which kind of like just filled the void in her life mm-hmm. the school that she went to uh for high school she eventually got expelled from i don't know why um she did eventually earn her ged which was one of okay. her proudest moments of her life like i said she left home at 17 to escape her stepfather and she didn't have a high school diploma. She didn't have a plan. Her only plan in life was to study art. Mm-hmm. She didn't know what kind of artist she wanted to be. She just wanted to study art. So she signs up for this artist retreat in Canada. And in her book, she talks about she literally somehow did not die. She hitchhikes from New York City across the Canadian border with her dog, Sparkle, that's iconic. That's icon. That's icon. It is icon there. behavior, but also really scary. Like it, how yeah, did she sure. not die? Um, she gets there. She does this artist retreat thing. She lives in the woods. She said that she was more mosquito bites than skin at one point. Even the poor dog got mosquito bites. Poor thing. Uh, to come back, she somehow hitchhiked with a like group that was on a bus and just came back with them. Oh, that makes sense. It sounded very dangerous. Um, she was trying to find herself. She didn't really find herself in Canada. She spent four years just trying to figure out what the fuck she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And she finally realized all she's ever wanted to do with her life was sing. She knew that music was her escape from life, but she needed to figure out how to open the door to let other people in and escape with her. Which I love the way she put that. Oh, that's nice. So in the early 70s, she starts performing as a vocalist with several cover bands. One is called Doc West, and they covered disco songs and Janis Joplin. That's an eclectic mix. Exactly. Uh, it didn't last very long. She then joins a band called Flyer. They're playing around New York, and they're singing a much more like normal mix. They're singing Bad Company, Jefferson mm-hmm. Airplane, Led Zeppelin. And it, it gave her performance experience and let her get into the, the scene, but she was not happy singing covers. Like She wanted to perform her own songs. Mm-hmm. Um. And then tragedy, not tragedy, but then things don't really go her way because in 97, she damages her vocal cords. You mean, se- is it still the 70s? 1977. No worries. Uh, she damages her vocal cords and has to take a year off. And her doctors tell her, yeah, you're never going to sing again. Ugh. She hasn't even gotten started. Uh, but she was able to regain her voice with the help of her vocal coach, Katie Ag- Agresta. I'm going to assume that's how it's pronounced. So things start going her way again. She gets her voice back. And in 1978, she meets saxophone player John Tory, And they make a band together called Blue Angel. Mm-hmm. They record a demo tape of their own music. No covers this time. And Steve Masarski, who was managing the Allman Brothers band at the time, hears the tape. Holy shit. Falls in love with Cindy Lauper's voice. Gives the Blue Angels a contract for that he pays $5,000 for and becomes their manager. Pretty good deal for him. She, while they're working on this Blue Angels project, she starts getting recording offers herself as a solo mm. artist. But she was like, no, like, 
my band is part of my thing. Like I'm not doing yeah. music without them. And so eventually they all get signed together as Blue Angel to Polydor Records. They release an album. It's a self-titled album in 1980. And she's wearing like this yellow poofy outfit that she says makes her look like Big Bird. <laughs> oh, I got to look that up now. Just um, Blue Angel, self-titled. Blue Angel. And she she absolutely despises this cover. But uh, it's received very badly at the time. Um, Cindy likes a joke that it did so bad that it went lead. <laughs> the band ends up breaking up. But in later, like, retrospectiveness, Rolling Stone has named it one of the best 100 New Wave album covers, at least. Mm. So... Is this the album cover right here? Yeah. Why isn't it blue? I don't know. It's it's red. It bothers me. But also, can we just give a shout out to this guy who's basically Kenny G in it up before Kenny He's, G. That's could, a, this man ran for Kenny G. John Tory or whatever his name is. This man ran so that Kenny G could walk. He did. He did. Um, Where was I? So they... They broke up. This this album split them up. Didn't do well. The members of the band actually had a flying uh, well, the members of the band actually had a falling out with Masarski. They fire him. He fires an eighty thousand dollar lawsuit against them, mm. which sends Cindy Lauper into bankruptcy. Oh jeez. While all this was happening, Cindy temporarily lost her voice again due to a cyst in her vocal cord. Oh, that sucks. Things are not going great. She needs money. She needs to take a job. So she ends up working like very short stints at a bunch of jobs. She worked at retail stores. She wasn't very nice to customers. She waitressed at IHOP for a while, which in her book she talks about quitting when her boss sat her down. She was hostessing and sat her down to basically say, you're not doing a good job and stuck his hand up her skirt. (gasps) And so she just walked out and left. Good for her. Um... I don't know what this note means. I'm just gonna just, just cut that out. So she's still trying to make the music thing happen. Mm-hmm. Music critic music critics are watching her perform at various places in New York, and they're like, "Well, she has star potential because she has a four octave singing range. Like, yeah, girl can sing." And so she's singing at this, I don't know, just this local New York bar. Who knows where the hell it is? In 1981. And in walks David Wolf. David Wolf sees her. He falls in love with her and her voice. Uh, takes over as her manager. Signs her with a contract to Portrait Records, which is an offshoot of Epic Records. Neither of which I think exists anymore. Um, but, you know, she's still broke. So it's like a little bit of an overlap where she's trying to make money. And she starts working at a vintage store called Screaming Mimi's. Which she ended up not making any money from because as soon as she would get her paycheck, she would buy everything that she liked in the store. <laughs> but it got her her stage wardrobe for pretty cheap. So there you go. It all worked out. Uh, David Wolf introduces her to Lenny P- Petsy, I think was his last name. Mm-hmm. He's head of CBS Records. He falls in love with her and her eccentric personality. And they're like, we got something here. We got to make this happen. Like... Mm-hmm. We can't just keep putting around New York City with this. So they give her the funds and the means to make her first album, 
which is released on October 14th, 1983. It's called She's So Unusual. And this skyrockets Cindy Lauper into fame. It debuts as, I don't even know what it debuts at, but uh, it peaks at number four in the U.S., reaches top five in eight other countries. Mm. She becomes super popular with teenagers and music critics alike, which it's not very often that those two groups no, agree on something. Meet in the, they don't usually meet in the middle, do they? Um, but it's because of her like punk image. She's got this spiky hair and these cool vintage clothes and it's just people fall in love with her um so she actually only co-wrote four songs in this album including time after time that's a great song and shabop also a good song the songs that she didn't write she would end up changing the lyrics to songs that are already written which was the case with girls just want to have fun Robert Hazard wrote the original song and she found it to be so misogynistic that she rewrote it and like flipped it on its head. I love that. But like I looked at the original lyrics because I thought I want to see what this this is. Mm -hmm. And they really don't make sense if a man's singing it. Like even if you like make it the most misogynistic song ever, like it just doesn't even make sense because it talks about like he called his dad up on the phone. I'm like, no boy is calling their dad up on the phone. Anyway, she changed all the lyrics. Um, in the music video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun, this is 1983, okay? People weren't doing this. She made it a point to include all the ethnicities of New York so that everyone could feel represented. Oh, Which I love. I appreciate that. The album also includes five cover songs, including the Brains' new wave track, Money Changes Everything, which would very soon become an anthem for her life and Prince's When You Were Mine. This made her the first female artist to have four consecutive Billboard Hot 100 top five hits on one album. Wow. That was a lot of words. She had four of the top five were her songs. The album stayed in the top 200 charts for more than 65 weeks and has sold 16 million copies worldwide. So all of a sudden... Cindy, this girl who never fit in with anyone, was like the most beloved woman in in the entire United States. Oh, I love that. So now that they have money, they got to film a music video to promote the second single, which was Shabop. No, it wasn't. That was the third single. The second video is Time After Time. And so she and her mom come to set and there were hundreds of fans lined up outside of the building to wait for her. And she said she and her mom just looked at each other and just started crying because like, this is so sweet. This is what they had dreamed of for years and what she had wanted. And so in the video for time after time, that's her real mom in the video. And those tears are their real tears because that day it hit them that like Cindy's being swept away by fame and life will never be the same. Stop. Isn't that like the oh my most, gosh, most sad so thing? Sweet. It's sad, but it's so sweet. It's sad, at the but same it's sweet. Time. Yeah. Uh, that ended up becoming a number one song in the U.S. in June of 1984. She went on to win Best New Artist at the 1985 Grammys. And the album didn't win that year, but did receive nominations for Album of the Year, Record of the Year, Best Female Pop Vocal Performance for Girls Just Want to Have Fun, and song of the year for time after time she 
obviously accepted the Grammy for her Best New Artist Award. Mm -hmm. And in her outfit, this is the most 1980s thing ever, she's wearing almost a pound of necklaces. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It also won the Grammy for Best Album Package, which is not named that same thing anymore. It's like a, a different title. But that went to her art director, Janet Pear, which shout out to her because I'm sure that she was one of very few female art directors at the time. I'm now looking at photos while you've been talking of Cindy Lauper and her mom. And that woman, I I know three women in my family that look exactly (laughs) like her. She's Italian. Super Italian. So the video for Girls Just Want to Have Fun won the inaugural award for best female video at the 1984 MTV Music Awards. And then that immediately got her like played every 10 minutes mm-hmm. on MTV for the rest of eternity until they only started playing ridiculousness for 24 hours a day. Because she's so new and so hot, they were like, what can we do with her? Let's add her to our USA for Africa single, We Are the World. Because <laughs> mm. that, see, that's, that's how you network in the 80s. It is. Bob you Dylan throw there. On a, you throw them on an aid type song. Yep. We got to make a... The, this is the famine relief one. Yes. So not live aid. Different not one. live aid. But um, that song is, you know, that song, whether you know, you know that song or not. So David Wolf, her manager, also boyfriend, if not boyfriend yet, boyfriend very soon was like this. This is not enough success. We need we need more success. Mm-hmm. Being number one in the world. It's not enough for me. So he plans this new campaign. Where is he going to go? The Mars? To the WWE. <laughs> Yo. So the, she starts making appearances with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and Hulk Hogan in this situation is playing her bodyguard. Because that's not obvious at all. He's not really her bodyguard, but yeah. whatever. And she would just start showing up at all these wrestling events. And if you're wondering why, it's because David Wolf is a huge wrestling fan. This is like, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. It really does not. She just shows up to all these wrestling, they're, they're called rock and wrestling connection events. Like he orchestrated this whole thing just so he can hang out with the wrestling bros, I think. I bet you Poppy's people got the idea from here. Cause oh, she's, probably. she's been doing a lot of WWE and it doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense at all. Cause I'm just like, you do not match the vibe. And that's not an insult to her. No. It's just not her crowd. It's not her crowd. And it wasn't Cindy's crowd either. But it kept getting more and more ridiculous, like to the point where they were basically almost treating her like a wrestler, where she would have these skits and be like in fights. And she was like, I do not want to be a cartoon of myself. Yeah. I need to be what I want to be. This right. is not me. We got to stop this. And so she, it was a short lived thing, but it was a thing. Like she was very involved in WWE. Also in 1985, because we're never going to leave this year, she released the single The Goonies Are Good Enough from the soundtrack to The Goonies. And as we see, we will see, she's like everywhere in these big movies. Mm -hmm. Um, The video for that was like her last big project with the wrestling stars. They're all just in this video. And it did reach number 10 on the top 100. And around this time, because she skyrocketed so fast... She does what every everyone does. She appears to love the attention outwardly, but inwardly she's like, fuck no, this went way too hard, yeah. way too fast. 
And she got really lonely and kind of depressed because she her way of writing was always just walking around New York City. Mm-hmm. But she can't just do that by herself anymore. Right, that's hard. She, she'd be mobbed. And so she can't write. She's miserable. By that winter, she and David start fighting over her career because she wants to do one thing. He wants her to do another. Mm-hmm. He wants her to be a pop star, but she just wants to be an artist. Like to her, it was never about being famous. It was about it was, making it, art. She wanted to do art. He wants to make her an icon. Yes. And so they stay together both professionally and personally, but that's kind of like the first nail in the coffin. Yeah. It's, things are not going to go well between the two of them for much longer. So she does somehow, despite her her struggles with fame, end up writing and releasing her second album, True Colors, in 1986. It entered the Billboard 200 at 42 and eventually rose to number four. She actually didn't write True Colors, but felt that it really reflected what she was feeling at the time because she was going to stick to her beliefs and be true to who she was as an artist and not compromise and like mm-hmm. be a sellout pop star. But then while she's recording this song, one of her closest friends actually died from AIDS. Um, and the song really helped her to heal from her grief Aww. and has gone on to be an anthem for many people on many, whatever true colors means to them. Mm-hmm. Um, she still gets like teary eyed performing it because that song, like I can't imagine looking out to an audience and seeing people cry to that song. Like, yeah, I would probably still cry too 50 years later. Right. And releasing this song and performing this song was a big moment for her because it proved to herself that she could still relate to people on a personal level despite being, like, one of the most famous people in America right now. She becomes friends with Billy Joel. Okay. Who's a hot topic today because he and Olivia Rodrigo performed together last night. Very strange. Wasn't Becca at that show? Yeah, she was. Yes. Um... So in 1986, she appeared on his album, The Bridge, and she actually wrote some of the lyrics on that song. The song is called Code of Silence. That's what I missed. That same year, she also sang the theme song for Pee-wee's Playhouse. That's so random. But she's not credited as herself. She did it under a pseudonym. That's good. Which I think is her sister's name. She's credited as Ellen Shaw. That's smart. But like I said, she's everywhere. She decided that she wanted to dabble in acting because it's the 80s. Everyone thinks that. Everyone does that. So she makes her film debut in August 1988 in the quirky comedy called Vibes (laughs) alongside Jeff Goldblum, Peter Falk, and Julian Sands. What a lineup. She plays a psychic in search of a city of gold in South America. (laughs) I could see her thriving in that role. It's so perfect. To prepare for the role, she took a few classes in hair setting at a, the School of Beauty in New York, which I love because I don't. Even, I haven't seen the movie, but I just assume all psychics wear like some yeah. gauzy scarf over their head. Yes. Uh, the film did not do well, as you can imagine. It kind of flopped, but nowadays it's considered a cult classic because it's got Jeff Goldblum and right. Cindy Lauper in it. Right. She actually recorded a song for the soundtrack called Hole in My Heart all the way to China, (laughs) which is a terrible title for that soundtrack. They ended up not including it on there, but um, she did like release it herself. The music video is like 
a really cheesy action adventure saga through a Chinese laundromat. It it didn't do well in America, but they loved it in Australia where it went number eight, which is funny to me. In 1988, so finally, she and David break up due to their creative differences. Yeah, no kidding. It took seven years. Um, she said that what he wanted to do, her to do, which was to sing these pop songs on the radio, was not her definition of success. It was her definition of failure. Mm. And so she just got rid of him. While she's breaking up with David, she's also fighting with her record label, over her image because they keep asking her why can't you just be like everybody else and she's like because i'm not like everybody else yeah. leave me alone and so they really pushed her into making her next album to be like everybody else and it was really underwhelming and didn't do that great it's called a night to remember it came out in 1989 it had one hit i drove all night which is actually a roy orbison cover it wasn't even a cindy lopper song it does only a fraction of what the previous records do. Um, and she took this like really personally and felt really conflicted with her direction in life and decided to step away from her music career at the age of 36. Wow. Because, she, yeah. And she's only made three albums. Yeah. But she just is tired of everyone telling her what to do. So she goes back to what she just tested her feet in and pursues acting. So she gets cast in a very low budget comedy that I'm not even going to mention because it doesn't do great. It's not that great. But she meets David Thornton and they fall in love. I know that name. I looked him up and he's he's like a recurring guest star on a bunch of things. Okay. But he's he's semi-famous, I guess. Okay. Um, they, like, they fell in love, spent every waking moment during the shoot together. They get engaged like super fast and they get married November 24th, 1991. Surely that's not going to go bad. No, actually, they're still married. Oh, that's great. Okay. Phew. The way you were, the way it was getting set up, I was like, oh, no. No, it's because I forgot about this next bullet point, oh, which is at their wedding, Patty LaBelle was the officiant. That's beautiful. And little Richard sang at the ceremony. <laughs> I even love that more. Best wedding ever. And this was really good for her because unlike our buddy, I don't even remember his name, David Wolf. Wolf yeah. I was going to say Dick Wolf, but that's a guy who writes for SVU. <laughs> um, he encourages her to return to her music and do what she wants to do with her life. Yeah. And encourages her to write songs about her personal life and her experience. And so her four year music hiatus comes to an end because she's happy and happily married. So she releases Hatful of Stars in June 1993. This was commercially like praised or sorry critically praised mm -hmm. commercially failed her label like did zero promo because it wasn't their idea of what her album yeah. should that, be that's what that's what record labels do they like will choose not to promote things because they don't agree with it well you can see this is this is the this is some of the topics tackled on this album she writes about topics such as homophobia spousal abuse racism and abortion I see nothing wrong here. So you can imagine that in 1993, yeah, whatever record CBS Records was like, we ain't touching that. Mm -hmm. It it peaked at number 112, which was quote bad for her. Um, but it was she co-wrote every song on the album. It was her most autobiographical one to date. She 
did things that like people weren't doing at the time in music, especially as a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, f- the only other fact I have written about this is the video for the song Sally's Pigeon features a then unknown young Julia Stiles as young Aww. Cindy. So jumping ahead, on November 19th, 1997, she gave birth to her only son, Declan Wallace Lopper Thornton. She then released her fifth album called Sisters of Avalon. This makes no sense, so I have to point it out. It was released in Japan first in Hmm. 1996, and then in the U.S. in 97, like everywhere else. I don't, there was no context as to why. Yeah. But it was. So like her last album, this album's kind of dark. But it has less dark themes than the previous one. Uh, for example, the song Ballad of Cleo and Joe is a song about the complications of a drag queens living a double life. That's a good topic. Yeah. Say a Prayer was written for that friend of hers who had died from AIDS. Uh, and Unhook the Stars was used in a movie. I don't know why that put that in there because I have no other context about that one. So the label, again, was like, we're not promoting that. That's not what we want you to do. We want you to mm-hmm. just get up here and sing mindless pop songs. Uh, they didn't promote it at all. It didn't chart. It didn't do anything. It just pretty much flopped commercially. Um, but critics loved it. People Magazine called it 90s nourishment for body and soul. She sets a scene, makes us care, and gives us hope. And so she said... Her low sales were a lesson in humility for her because, you know, she started out on top. She needed to learn how to humble herself. But the album for her was what she felt like was her artistic victory because she controlled everything, the whole process. Um, Thankfully, around this time, her contract ended in 1998. And so she said, bye, and went indie. She's all fully self-supported now. Like, she does not have a major record label backing her at all. Um, And she says this has only let her go stronger in her art because no one's putting her in a box anymore. No one's Mm -hmm. breathing down her neck. Uh, Her husband's supportive. Like, I love that. In 99, she appeared. (laughs) She appeared in an episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, that that would make sense. Because why wouldn't she? It's called Wild Barts Can't Be Broken. She also, which I, this is probably my first introduction to Cindy Lauper contributed to the soundtrack of the Rugrats in Paris film. Yeah. She Good sings call. I Want a Mom That Will Last Forever. In October 2000, she took part in the TV show Women in Rock, Girls with Guitars, performing with Ann Wilson of Heart mm. and with Destiny's Child because it's 2000. So yeah. why wasn't Destiny's Child there? Just as a sign of the times, the CD of those songs was only available at Sears. It's exclusive to Sears. Exclusively at Sears for a month. Um, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. That was no. pain. In 2000, Oh, I forgot about this. So in 2006, she makes her Broadway debut in the Tony-nominated Three Penny Opera as Jenny. Pin that, because we're coming back to the, the Broadway thing in a little bit. I promise that's important. But in the meantime, she's inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame in October. And in her long history of random TV appearances in 2007, she was the guest performer on an episode of The Backyard Kids. Because <laughs> four-year-olds totally care who Cindy Lauper is. Yeah. 
In 2010, she releases her seventh album called Memphis Blues. Shockingly, it's a blues album. Mm-hmm. And it does really well on the blues chart. So, you know, it's easier to chart than pop. But yeah, she charts number one on the Billboard Top 200 and stayed there for 14 weeks. So blues is her genre, which is interesting. That's cool. Because she doesn't strike me as a blues. No. She has no blues background. She grew up in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> Not even in Harlem. Um, and she was nominated for Best Blues Album at the Grammys, but did not win. She has a long history of being nominated. And not winning. And not winning, which really sucks. In the most perfect pairing to ever exist, in 2012, she performed at Betsy Johnson's 40-year anniversary fashion show. That's incredible. She is the the music version of Betsy Johnson. They are the same person in different fonts. Yes, Yes, they are. And Carol Kane's up there, too. Mm-hmm. The three of them are the same person in different fonts. Yes. Uh, that same year, she also released a memoir that just tells her life story. I have to say, I've read a lot of memoirs in this show. Could not get into this one. Mm. It needed someone to go through it and organize the thoughts. Yeah. I think that whoever was ghostwriting it, cause uh-huh. not ghostwriting it, but assistant writing it because it's written with with someone just like recorded Cindy and transcribed it and just left all these thoughts all scattered. It needed some organization. So let us jump to the year 2013. A good year. A good year. Before, you know, everything went to hell. This might have even been pre Harambe. I think that was 2015. This was my wedding year. It was, it was uh, before Harambe. So, you know, things are still going good. Uh, But Cindy Lauper, Composes the music and lyrics for Kinky Boots. I did not know she did that. I didn't either. And I love her more for it. And Harvey Fierstein wrote the book. I love that so much. Yes. So the, the musical is based on the 2006 independent film Kinky Boots. Mm-hmm. It opens in Chicago in October 2012. It moves to Broadway in April 2013. In May, she goes on to win... Best score for Kinky Boots at the Critics Circle Award. It also led the 2013 Tony Awards with 13 nominations and six wins, including Best Musical and Best Actor, and she won the award for Best Original Score. She's the first woman ever to win solo in this category. I love that for her. Love that. It ran for six years, had 2,507 shows, and ended its Broadway run on April 7th, 2019. It probably would have ended in 2020 had, you know, it kept going because Mm -hmm. a lot of things ended. So it ended on a good note. And it is the 25th longest running Broadway musical in history. She actually would go on in 2014 because Grammys in in the Broadway world make no sense. But in 2014, she got a Grammy for Kinky Boots for the best musical theater album. Good. I had no clue that she wrote the music for Kinky Boots. I had no clue either. No idea. I need to go back and listen to it because it's been a while to listen to it, but it makes total sense. Uh, in 2016, she announced that she would release a new album, and this album, she's fulfilled her her blues check mark on her genre checklist. So this one is her interpretation of early country classics. <laughs> but I love it. I, I love see. It. I see her with a cowboy hat. It makes sense. It's called Detour. It just feels very on That's brand. That's perfect. Uh, In 2018, she contributed to the SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical score, earned another Grammy nomination. Good for her. 
if you're curious and I'm a SpongeBob the Musical fan, she co-wrote Hero is My Middle Name with Rob Hyman. Hmm. It's performed by SpongeBob Patrick and Sandy in the show. In March 2018, it was announced that she was going to get back together with co her co-writer of Time After Time and composed the score for the musical version of the 1988 film Working Girl, which starred in the film version Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver. She's teamed up with him because she wanted the music to, quote, sound like the 80s. Yeah. What better duo than Cyndi Lauper and Rob Hyman? This will be staged. It says it was planned for the 2021-2022 season. But I can't find any update on it, so I'm going to go with maybe 22, 23 season. I assume it got delayed because of COVID. In 2018, it was announced, this is my favorite thing ever, it was announced that Lopper would receive the Icon Award at the Billboard's 13th Annual Women in Music event in New York City. According to Billboard's editorial director, the entire world recognizes the power of Cyndi Lauper's music. Just as crucially, had she used her undeniable talent to soar beyond music, create positive change in modern society and become a true icon. I love that. In 2019, She's So Unusual was added to the National Recording Registry. To be forgotten what that is, those are recordings that are culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and or inform or reflect life in the United States. It is it is a defining album of the 80s. This is my favorite thing ever. In September 2019, it was announced that Cyndi Lauper would star alongside Jane Lynch in a new Netflix comedy described as the Golden Girls for today. I need that so bad. When is it coming out? There have been no updates since March 2021. I hate that so much. I'm really worried it got shelved, especially now that Jane Lynch is in Funny Girl. I need it. I need it to happen. I'm worried that uh, COVID fucked it up. Yeah. But I can't find any updates anywhere. If you know. I would love that so much. If you can find anything out there, please send me an update. Thank you. Uh, So let's talk about her activism. She is a very vocal, very prominent, very early LGBT LGBT rights supporter. Um, She was inspired for this cause very early in life because her sister Ellen is a lesbian. And she always hated that her sister had to hide this part away like mm-hmm. her girlfriend they just had to say you know it's my roommate like yeah. they couldn't talk about it and she was like it's not fair so she became very involved in gay rights advocacy um she actually talks about in her book that i think it must have been in her like art exploratory years years she had so many gay friends that she just assumed she was gay <laughs> but eventually she had to come out to them as straight and they were all super disappointed yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, which I love. Her song, Head Above the Clouds. Nope, that's not what it's called. Her song, Above the Clouds, celebrates the memory of Matthew Shepard, a young gay man who was beaten to death in Wyoming. Um, she's actually a member of the Matthew Shepard Foundation and devoted an entire tour in 2005 to promoting the foundation's message. In 2008, she started the True Colors United, abbreviated TCU, after learning that while 10% of American youth identify themselves as LGBT, up to 40% of American homeless youths identify as LGBT. Mm-hmm. So she works to end youth homelessness, yeah. focusing on just LGBT youth. It's a huge issue. And especially in New York City. It's huge. She cre- like opened and created a 30-bed facility that offers temporary shelter and job placement help. 
And in April 2010, TCU launched the Give a Damn campaign to help get more straight people involved in gay rights. She's also a proud member of the Democratic Party, which I'm sure surprises no one. (laughs) No, really? (laughs) And heavily endorsed Barack Obama, including a performance at the 2008 Democratic National Convention. I love that. Just touching on her legacy, she was described by All Music's Lindsay Planer as an iconoclastic vocalist who has revolutionized the role of women in rock and roll. Over her 40-year career, she's influenced, you know, everyone, um, but most notably Katy Perry and Lady Gaga. And uh, that's it. Cindy Lauper's badass. Yeah. She didn't let people bully her around. Nope. I considered making her applying her for sainthood but uh i don't know if her <laughs> career is long enough so. i can understand that sorry cindy you barely made the cut thank you for listening you can leave us a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or good pods special thanks to death of for our intro riff you can visit our website at chiwaraku.com there you'll find our social show notes contact information and our merch other than that don't do drugs don't do drugs 